Show number 23 of I Read Comics. Kids, this is a special interview show, finally, with Rory Root, who is the owner of Comic Relief, my favorite comic book store in the Bay Area. And he was very kind to sit down and chat with me for about two hours. Um, not all of it made it into the interview, and let me just tell you that we tried to do the first part of it in this little restaurant that was right across the street, and it started off being fairly quiet, but then got really noisy. So you will hear some of the noises. I edited a lot of it out. And then we moved to the back room of Comic Relief, where it was a bit quieter. And it's a great interview. Rory has lots to say about stores in the Bay Area and what it's like to run a comic book store, so I think you will completely enjoy that. I wanted to just say that this getting this interview was just so hard. It was like the universe was conspiring against me the whole time. I had to go into Berkeley, which meant driving in there. And Berkeley is not really a town for cars. It's a town for public transportation and walking. But for various reasons, I had to drive. And I also had to pick up a package at the post office. And it was raining, and it was really cold, and I couldn't find a parking space. So I finally parked at a meter that I didn't realize was broken and I got a ticket when I was in the post office and then I got to comic relief and I was late but that was okay Rory was very nice about it and then we were in this noisy restaurant and then we went into the store and that was all really cool and I bought some great stuff and he showed me all kinds of new things and I was really really worried the whole time that I was going to get another ticket but I didn't So that was a happy ending to that story. But man, what a traumatic experience. I had to go out and like get drunk afterwards and eat Indian food to make myself feel better. And now it's like a week and a half later and I'm finally getting around to editing all this down, which was a Herculean task, but it's done. And I hope you will enjoy listening to this. Um, I'll tag on a little bit at the end to let you know what's coming in the next show. So um, listen to what Rory has to say. And if you live in the Bay Area, please go to Comic Relief at 2026 Shattuck in Berkeley and buy some stuff because it is a fantastic place. So I'm sitting here in one of Berkeley's fine eating establishments talking with Rory Root, who is the owner of Comic Relief, one of the best comic book stores in the Bay Area and my personal favorite because it was where I really got reintroduced to comics when I started going to Berkeley in 1989. Thank you very much. So um, why don't you Give us a little bit of history about the store and how you came to be involved. Well, I founded the store back in 1987. We opened. We were trying to open on April 1st. It seemed an appropriate opening day for comic stores. Like many things in comics, we shipped a couple weeks late, so we actually opened April 15th. Not a day we're likely to ever forget. Um, so that was in the old location. That was the old location. Um, I and a good chunk of the original starting staff had worked in another bookstore, a comic book store up on Telegraph, where, as we put it, we learned an awful lot of what not to do. Mm-hmm. We also made some great contacts with some great customers, some good creators, and Mike Thatch and I, the original partner with me, Mike Thatch and my original partner and I, 
found what I thought was one of the best staffs to ever have it with a comic book store. Um, we opened. Uh, the intent was to have a, a, a comprehensive look at, at comics as a, a medium, not a genre. Um, some of the comic stores are all about the, the owners or the staff's mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. favorites. And that's an appropriate way to run a business. It's just not... I think I find it a little too limiting. Mm-hmm. I was much more about the medium of comics, mm-hmm. much more about bringing in the diverse voices of comics to the readership. And Berkeley is a great town to do that in. And we've got an incredibly accepting readership. Um, we've got a fantastic... Um, uh, customer base and creator base to draw from. Um, some of our favorite and some of our best-selling books have been brought to our attention by some of our customers who travel to, to Europe or to Asia to, to bring back you know, something that they thought they had to proselytize to us, and we've been able to return the favorites. Yeah. Well, one of the things that always impressed me about Comic Relief, even from the first time I walked in there, was um, as you were saying, the diversity, but also that there were um, books, there were trade paperbacks, there were hardcovers, there were other kinds of magazines. There was just a little bit of everything. So that there was whatever you wanted to find in whatever medium, something was there. Well, book format is, is one of the things we're probably best known for. Um, one of the things that uh, a couple seminal experiences happened. First week I ever worked in the comic store. So we're talking early 1980, late 1979. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I didn't think I'd be working in the comic book business for long. Uh, I'd come. <laughs> Who knew? Um, I'd actually managed a game store after dropping out of Cal. Um, by the end of my freshman year, I'd finished my sophomore requirements and a double major in EECS back when that was a double major rather than a single. Uh-huh. Yeah, double geek, as, as we refer to it. Um, and it was... Uh, I ended up... Uh, you know, managing a game store, which I had a great love of, of uh, uh, early Euro games, but mostly the war games and Dungeons and Dragons and mm-hmm. such. Chess, backgammon. It was a game I pretty much played it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes badly, sometimes well. But uh, the partnership broke up. And um, eventually the stores ended up closing, despite being very successful. Um, and in a sense generated Games of Berkeley, Gamescape, and several other Bay Area mm-hmm. game stores sort of came out of that. Not unlike what's happened with some comic store chains over the years. Um, So after a little bit of time off, I went looking for a job. And both of the comic stores up there wanted me to come work for them to put in a game section. So I said, okay. So I'll keep my hands in the gaming world. And I'll come and uh, see what I can teach these comic guys about games. Work the other way around. (laughs) In the first week... um, uh, a young man came in and said, excuse me, do you have any Winsor McKay? And as I was racking my brain to bring up who the heck Winsor McKay was and why we would have him, um, every old hand working at the shop looked up and said, nope. And I, by then, remembered who Winsor McKay was, and I, I was sort of surprised. Why, with one of the geniuses, that noisy, uh, one of the, the true creative geniuses of, of, of comics, why do we have nothing? Mm-hmm. And Turns out we could have had a few things. They told me it was all out of print. Well, Dover had Dreams of Every Fiend and Palace of Ice, which were one of the Little Nemo strips, in print, in paperback form. But the store didn't carry them. Um, and I couldn't understand why. Um, it was, you know, again, one of, the, one of the sort of founders of comics, and we had nothing. 
same week, next week, go up the street to my favorite science fiction bookstore. Now conveniently located one, one door up for me, other change of habit. And I was there buying my books, and um, one of the owners, Tom Whitmore, looked up and said, Hey, Rory, is the new Eisner Quarterly from Warren in? Uh, who? He shook his head, sort of forlornly, and said, Rory, you can't work in a comic store and not know who Eisner is. He was right, of course. Reached behind him and pulled off the shelves a used paperback of 1978's Baronet Press's Contract with God mm-hmm. um, by Will Eisner. So I read on the way out home, and I was flabbergasted. I mean, as a young man, I'd read a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. My parents were flea marketeers. We lived at the Alameda Penny Mart. We were in antique stores and bookstores all the time. So I had a circuit with older brothers, younger brothers and sisters. A plethora of comics were around the house at all times. About the time I hit puberty, like so many people, I thought I'd run comics. Mm-hmm. So I put away childish things. Then I went off to Cal and um, rediscovered the undergrounds, mm-hmm. rediscovered uh, some European books, pretty much adults-only comics, mm-hmm. and had some fun with that, but wasn't enamored of it. And here in my hands was a sort of solution to that earlier McKay problem, mm-hmm. and one of the things I'd been questing for but not even knowing I was looking for. There was a book... It was for adults, but wasn't adults only. Mm-hmm. It was in book format, which meant that one could reprint it. You could get a second printing, a third printing. And so those Windsor McKay books that gentlemen have been looking for could be around. So I sort of found a couple of causes. One, I wanted more comics for adults. And two, I really thought more comics should be in book format, because that way more people could read them. I mean, we were in the business of, of selling... Well, if you wanted to read, if you wanted to read Sherlock Holmes stories, mm-hmm. you know, you have the option right now of going up to Cubbies and buying a nice hardbound or paperback, maybe going to Mo, more Moe's and finding a nice leather-bound edition, mm-hmm. or downstairs at Moe's and finding a nice paperback. You don't have to go look for Strand Magazine back right, issues. Right. And Comic World was in the business of selling, in almost all cases, you know, back issues as a Strand. If you want to read Claremont uh, and Burn X-Men, sure, they'll be 10 bucks a piece or more. You want to read uh, early Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Fantastic Fours, even more money. Mm-hmm. Might be hard to find. Mm-hmm. Eisner granted any fiction out spirits? Impossible to find. The money wasn't even an issue. It was just the impossibility of tracking that and finding those. Now, there's a certain hunter-gatherer aspect to collectors that is, that is pretty common where you look for... The, the joy is often in the hunting of comics. I mean, as a collector, one of my worst moments was when Diana Schitt's left the barrier. Besides losing a dear friend, one of the books I'd started collecting early on was Cerebus. And she handed me Cerebus number three, the last one I needed to finish my collection off. It's one of my worst moments of a collecting career. I could no longer walk into any comics from the country and go, excuse me, do you have any Cerebus threes? That, that inability to, to have something to always be looking for sort of gone away. The fun of looking for Cerebus was over. I had them all. Um, but beyond the fun of collecting and looking and, and finding things, there's the joy of reading. And I think the joy of reading is a lot more universal than the joy of collecting. And opening Comic Relief, we wanted to emphasize readership. Readership for everybody. Um, and in particular, 
the book format so that people could have it more accessible, have a complete story in one format. Nowadays, walking into any good comic book store and finding hundreds of graphic novels on the shelves, it, this may not seem like a revelation, but I remember getting laughed at by other retailers and distributors when talking about books, because those were just reprints. Yeah, yeah. yeah you didn't need those. Those are just reprints, Roy. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that you bring that up. I mentioned to you that in going to the news store, that was the very first thing I noticed was how much of it is trades and books as opposed to single-issue comic books. And I think that's a trend that, that people haven't seen for a long time. I wonder if you think that eventually monthly comics are going to go away or be an extremely small part of the whole. Everybody talks about writing for trades now, right? Because the, the story arcs are so long, there's never a single-issue story anymore. Everything gets tied over from one issue just to make a trade. I think we're in the transition period. Obviously, book format, book format is very much driving the market right now. In the past, the publisher, a creator, when writing a monthly story, we get one paycheck from that. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, and the, the reason that a movie opens up uh, this Friday, um, the reporter who was in earlier was amazed to find it was in the ninth printing. We've got books like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, which I think are in their 14th printing. Mm-hmm. Sandman books in the 13th and 14th printings. Watchmen in the 10th or 11th printings. Mm-hmm. And these were large printings. These yeah. are not, but let's print 500 up and then do more. These were the multiple tens of thousands of times. Um, book format allows that. Um, in the real book world, which I think comics is very much approaching, mm-hmm. a reprint's a good thing. Mm-hmm. A second printing's a great thing. I mean, you just sold out of the first printing. Well, sold enough of it that they're now rare on the ground and they needed more to fill them in. Um, well, I think periodicals are going to go away. No, I mean, some of them already morphed to the web. Books like Finder, books like Supernatural Law, uh, books like Girl Genius are now available as webisodes. But again, the periodical format, I mean, some disparage this pamphlets, and even though I'm very, 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 very pro-book, I'm not anti-periodical. Mm-hmm. And I think some people fail to perceive that there, there is not a, a, a war between those formats. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about creators writing for the book. Well, a good story has a beginning, middle, and end. And it doesn't mean that those can't be contained within one issue of a comic. Uh, the Uncle Scrooge books that I grew up with as a kid, that predate my being a kid even, were fantastic stories written and drawn by Carl Borgs. And pretty much often two or three complete stories in one book. Right. It doesn't mean that chained together they often didn't tell a larger story. But didn't require you to read uh, 12 so now, now we're in a quieter place. We, we enough had, Berkeley atmosphere. We, it was enough get. Berkeley atmosphere. There was there was dinner. There was um, a crazy guy coming into the restaurant. There was a police action. A police action. There was a protest outside. Uh, there were various homeless people kind of wandering by. So it was pretty much the whole Berkeley experience right there as we were encapsulated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and really good food though, which is also part of the Berkeley experience. Always part of the Berkeley yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so we talked about um, starting Comic Relief. Why don't you talk a little bit about moving to this new space? Because I really want to encourage people to come here to see the new store because it is so gorgeous and there is so much stuff here. It's it's wonderful. Why don't you just keep going? <laughs> I will. I mean, that's the whole point of this whole... This is one whole show that's all going to be about come to Comic Relief and spend your money here. 
I, well, my favorite, <laughs> bless you. <laughs> my favorite uh, review of the store I've ever seen was probably in the uh, Guardian many years ago. They referred to us as Mecca, and, uh, <laughs> which was very nice. And uh, it, it ended up with, uh, and when you go, don't bring cash, bring credit cards. <laughs> you won't have bought enough. I'm not sure how much of a warning or how much of an ad- advertisement that was for us. Um, we moved one year, uh-huh. one month, and one week ago wow. today. Um, we had four days to do it. When we got here, there was no power, no lights. <gasps> oh, my God. We were open on Sunday at the old store. And my staff just really kicked butt mm-hmm. to get us in here. I mean, uh, it's a much bigger space. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the old coffin fabric space on uh, on Shattuck, about 30 steps away, 30 feet away from the uh, Addison Street steps off of BART. That's right. It's um, conveniently located by the BART station, so if you come here, don't, there's no excuse. You just take BART and you're here. Take BART and you're here. If you, if you try to park, there's a parking... <laughs> you were laughing. There is a uh, parking garage on uh, Addison Street. It's about $5 for all-night parking. Um, but there's plenty of ambient parking if you just search the streets yeah, and yeah. don't come on a cow football night. You know, I'm just really amazed with the effort my team put in. I mean, mm-hmm. Literally 18 days after we moved here, we hosted a party during WonderCon. Um, just to sort of introduce people to the fact that we were mm-hmm. still here. Mm-hmm. There was some doubt beforehand, and thanks to people like uh, Neil Gaiman and other folks, Warren Ellis, who uh, get up on their web pages that we needed some help. We got some help. Right. And uh, it's a small community of comics full of a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Um, we were feeling that love that time. It wasn't quite it's the end of its America, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, but it, it felt <laughs> like that at times. Um, and folks just showed a shed up with hand trucks to help move. And people kept going, where's the big truck? <laughs> there was no big, there truck. Was a big truck. We we literally uh, moved by carrying things on uh, on a flatbed truck uh, dollies we had uh-huh. out there, and it was easier to just wheel them around the corner yeah. and down the block than it was to actually try to find parking. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Which we already joked about before. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's about five times the space. Um, we've been able to. It's funny people keep walking and going. It's so much bigger. How come everything still spine out? Well, in a bookstore, you have a a spine-out mentality. In, in a periodical, in a magazine shop, you have a full-face right, mentality. Right. Most comic stores are still dealing in a, in a periodical paradigm, in a, in a, in a magazine or mm-hmm. pamphlet, as some people call mm-hmm. it. Um, I think that's a bit disparaging. But the, the point of a bookstore is to have those shelves full of enough books that you need the spine-out. Right. You do the full-faces to catch people's eyes, but, I mean, a, a proper non-fiction or fiction section, proper manga section... If you're looking for the new Takahashi book, you find Takahashi. Mm-hmm. You find where in the alphabet that new book will be, and lo and behold, there it is, or we've got it on reorder for you. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the uh, plethora of, of spine-out, uh, I, um, uh, pardon me, the, uh, just the, the burgeoning book market in comics, um, for years we used to kid about we needed a bigger boat, and we desperately mm-hmm. did at the old place. We've got a bigger boat, and I'm not convinced we don't need a bigger boat still in yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, it's pretty full. I, I was going to say, even though you guys had moved here not that long ago, I mean, the store is packed with stuff. It's, a, it's amazing, and, and it's, it is really beautifully displayed, and it's pretty much easily labeled where you can find all of the books. Thank you. Um, actually, after the move, for about six months of last year, I was flat on my back under doctor's orders for this's and that's. Um, when in a small business like this, I've got a great staff. I mean, I got to give a shout out to Todd Martinez, our manager, who really does keep things running when I'm not here better than sometimes when I am here. But uh, Todd and, and the rest of the crew here just 
worked hellacious hours mm-hmm. to get the, the store built and then kept it running when I was gone. When I got back, eh, we went back into overdrive. And, and in the six months since I've been back, we replaced 55 fixtures into the store, or added 55 wow. fixtures and replaced seven temporaries with permanents. We've still got a long ways to go. I mean, any good store is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. I mean, any, any good operation is always a work in progress. And... And there's still a few sections here. We don't have a clue on how we're going to handle mm-hmm. it yet. Um, you know, the adult erotica section is still not where it needs to be in terms of presentation and physicality of its of its uh, structure. We haven't figured out how to make it work as integrally mm-hmm. here as it did in the old place, despite having all this extra room. It's funny how little... <laughs> Amy's ever moved to a slightly larger apartment. We're having some of the same problems. Sure, the stuff just expands to fill the space. That, that's always the case. So what would you say right now is the percentage of books to actual comic books? Well, in terms of new web comics or in terms of the bins and periodicals? The, and new, stuff. the new, new stuff. stuff. Um, there's about... Why don't we do a quick map here? <laughs> As we cut away for, um, <laughs> for a moment. We've got the Jeopardy music while Marie yeah. tries to figure this out. Um, we're racking about 500 plus periodicals each month. Mm-hmm. It goes up and down depending on how our focus shelves. Like right now, we have a, a Grant Morrison display that's that's pretty much uh, full periodicals from Morrison Seven Soldiers stuff at DC I, right well now. Well, I saw you also had a giant Chris Ware display when we were coming in. That looked great. That's true. Thank yeah. you. Uh, all Chris and not not much else. Um, very little periodical there, though. I'd say there's right. Five well, all comics this stuff are, is in books, right? Well, all this stuff's pretty much in books. There are some things in some of the uh, the issues of the comic Acme Comics Novelty Library that have not been reprinted, but almost all of it's getting recycled, reprinted at some point. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if the little pamphlet that was inside the lunchbox will ever show up mm-hmm. in one of the junk book collections. But my, if I had to bet, I'd bet on yes someday. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, Chris is an amazing talent. Um, so, 500 periodicals. 500 periodicals. We're pushing 15,000 book format. Wow. And it's it's funny, a couple of years ago, uh, Diamond had a, a, a conference for uh, a GN Focus and Book Focus, and they asked me first how many books we had, and I passed, just so I wouldn't pollute the... Uh, the, mm-hmm. the and the first person next to me said 1,200. And pretty much everybody around the table said 1,200. Wow. I think some of them were massively underestimating what they carry. Huh. I think some were probably even slightly overestimating. I said uh, 9,000. And uh, they, I think they thought I'd misunderstood the question. <laughs> um, a little bit later on, uh, back, well, this was one formally over at a bar at, at so many uh, meetings at comic conventions and, uh-huh. and seminars are. Uh, later on, back in uh, the headquarters, the same question went around the room with Steve Jeppy in the room, sitting to my right, and they literally started to be left, and everybody said 1,200 again, got to me, and I said 9,000. Steve coughed, like, I must have something in my ear. I thought you I just said 9,000. I said, I did. Said, everybody else is saying 1,200. I said, well, they're, they're wrong two ways. Um, one... There is, you know, over 1,200 manga in print at that time. Mm-hmm. Now there's considerably more. Yeah. Um, two, you're not counting art books, which are technically not graphic novels, but you're also not counting, um, uh, you know, uh, Ben de Dessinet, you're not counting the G- French imports, you're not counting comic strips. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to me, the world of comics is wide enough to include comic strips, French and Japanese mm-hmm. language comics, and uh, preferably their English translations as well. 
also, we do look for an awful lot of out-of-print books. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, uh, I noticed that. In fact, last time I was here, I actually bought an out-of-print book that I didn't buy on Amazon because it was too expensive. And it was here, it was like 8 bucks, and I had seen it on Amazon for like $50. <laughs> we should probably check Amazon a little more often to see how our, our competition is pricing went. We had an art book come off the shelf the other day, and somebody asked me how much it was. I went to both distributors we normally got it from, could not find it at all, and finally found it on ABE for $490. <gasps> Holy God. Yeah, it's no longer on the shelf wow. for 20 yeah. <laughs> It's now on the, on the, on the back shelves oh. for about 130 But we, I guess we could have put it at $500, yeah. but eh, we didn't have that much into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun to have the out-of-print stuff. It's fun to have uh, early Crazy Cat volumes that people don't have. And yeah. and yeah, I know they're on eBay for $50, $60. They don't have to be. I know where I can get them so I can sell them to you for 20 Yeah, well, that, That's the, the beauty of the indie store. Um, how do you decide what you're going to get in periodicals every month? Actually, I don't do the deciding on that. Todd Martinez does. Or he's our how manager. How do you decide? <laughs> um, well, mostly on cycle sheets. Um what I sold before tells you the number of what's going to sell now. Track record of the creator. Yeah. I mean, if uh, Larry Walker and Eric Jones have a new book coming out, we've carried all their other books. We know about where their audience mm-hmm. is. If the new book is Tron, as it is, well, that brings in the, the, the nostalgia factor and that, that license. And the sl- publisher Slave Labor is something that we can go get back issues from and, and restock from. I don't have to buy a lifetime supply up front. Right. So we can be fairly sure that this number will be good for a couple, three weeks, and then go get more. Sometimes you have to pretty much decide a lifetime supply up front right now, and I hate that because yeah, it's not... Because you don't know. You, you never can know. Yeah. And it, it also leads to people overestimating demand. Right. And when we do that, well, the newsstand down the street can return it. Yeah, we get to buy it. So, it. Yeah. And it, it works badly both ways. If I don't have enough for the customers, we feel bad. If we've got too many, well, the customer may feel bad, but they're still not going to be buying yeah. it from us. So do you, in, as a rule, do you take everything new that comes from, like, Marvel and DC every month, or do you pick and choose? Um, we, I think at this point, are carrying everything from Marvel and DC. There's certainly been times in the past where this, actually, that's not true. Um, the Marvel flipbooks right now that they're coming out with, we don't carry those. They haven't sold for us, uh, and consistently haven't sold. And they're targeted for uh, a more of an intro younger reader, mm-hmm. and I think we have better things in hand to to fill that younger reader's mm-hmm. needs in a marvel. And these books just haven't sold. And even though they're priced attractively, the format, the black and white nature of it, it just doesn't add up to a sale for us. So when those come up on the uh, the Marvel FOC, the, the, the last chance ordering, uh, final order cutoff dates, mm-hmm. we skip those. Yeah. But um, I don't think there's a single DC we're skipping right now, but we have in the past. We've owned the future when needs be. It's unusual, but... Um, just because it's from Marvel or DC doesn't mean they own a piece of our show. Sure. Well, it's, it's just a, it's a, an attitude towards them, I think, that people just feel differently about what you should carry. And, and I know that there are a lot of snobs out there who think that you must carry everything that they publish or you're not a comic book store. Well, yeah, snobs who think that about Marvel and DC? Yeah. Well, that's what a comic book store is. I mean... I think I've ran into more snobs well, that way about D&Q or yeah, graphic yeah, stuff. Yeah. But I think those snobs are actually more correct. Mm. But um, nobody... This is my store. Maybe I mean, anti-snob is the way to think about it. <laughs> Our job is to meet and exceed the customer's expectations, mm-hmm. and that just sounds like a business one-on-one. <laughs> but um, part of that is to have the book you or friends are just now finding out about. We've had it on yeah. the shelves for six months, and that's always cool. Um, at the same point, 
Alternative Press Expo is coming up in yeah. April. One of my favorite shows, and I've been to every one since the very first one. But we had to fight to let a retailer on the floor. <laughs> they didn't want retailers there. They figured we had no uh, business being there at an alternative show. Mm-hmm. Um, we convinced them otherwise. Um, put the lead pipe down, Sally. But um, it, it took a while, but it, it did work. Um, and Ape's been one of my favorite shows with ten ever since. Um, I go to Ape, and I'm amazed at the quality and, and the diversity of product I, I get to buy and, and see. And it's it's funny what other people bring to that experience. Though I had a good customer of ours come back a couple of Apes ago, going, "Roy, I just want to thank you and shake your hand." Like, Why? I went to Ape. Yeah, isn't it a great show? Did you get all this? Stuff? Did you get Larkin's new painting? Did you see that? Oh, yeah, I saw that. That was great. I just want to thank you for all the stuff you're not carrying. Say what? <laughs> Apparently, out of the thousands and the thousands of things he, he saw at Ape, he wasn't looking at the good and the wonderful. He was looking at the bad and the oh my god, mm-hmm. and the comics only their mother could love. Yeah, and yeah, those are there, but that's you know, God bless. Yeah, well, that's the way it is at any comic book con, and you have to give people credit for for trying to pursue. Sure. What, what's that's the way it is in any good bookstore yeah. too you walk in the store there'll be hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books here mm-hmm. not for you mm-hmm. and that's as it should be and the uh, the books that are here for you are doing their job the books that are not here for you are funny thing probably here for somebody else yeah. and you're adult enough to understand that sometimes we get people who who hold the book up and demand to know why we're carrying this piece of crap. It's like, well, I think we sold 300 copies of that yeah. piece of crap last year, and, and, and the bank account wants me to keep carrying That's it. That's true. That, that would but, answer But moreover, 300 people came in and bought that piece yeah. of crap, and maybe their tastes are valued too. Yeah. Um, one other thing that, that you were just mentioning, um, carrying things for younger readers, I was really happy to see that section that's specifically aimed at younger readers, and I saw Teen Titans Go and a bunch of other stuff in there, which I think is actually kind of unusual. Um in, I, mean, I, I think actually it's it's it, maybe in comic book stores, but yeah. if you walk in any major bookstore, right? Bookstores as opposed to comic right. book stores, and in, in comic book stores, I, I haven't seen a lot of stuff actually segregated out for younger readers where they could go and, and maybe pick something up that's not as uh, serious as the rest of the stuff. Well, I, I think I think the problem comes from two disconnects. One, again, the periodical nature that comic stores are growing from. Uh, and and growing out of, and not out of in a sense of growing too old for, but just 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 changing how it, how it looks, and two, um, the assumption that comics are for kids. Yeah. And if the entire store is for kids, you don't need a a kid section. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we were able to do when moving here was combine three of our sections, that were pretty much all ages, into one expanded general readership section, mm-hmm. and included the all ages section, the comic strip section. Um, and, and the, our media section, and so that puts the Simpsons and Star Wars books mm-hmm. next to the Calvin and Hobbes, next to the Disney and Gladstone and Archie books. Now, yeah, maybe Modesty Blaze isn't for the eight-year-old, but it's much easier to pick those occasionally, you know, comic strip collections. Mm-hmm. Um, or Red Meat isn't maybe for eight-year-olds. Canyon Doonesbury isn't for eight-year-olds either, mm-hmm. and nobody would have a problem with it living where it does in the section. But a little bit of guidance from us. A parent can feel very comfortable bringing their kid, their grandkid, into the all ages section and find a, a nice selection of books um, that works for them. I mean, frankly, if we had the Tesseract bookstore and had even more room, you know, almost all the Marvel Essentials and most of the Silver Age and, uh, DC and Marvel reprints could also be in that section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though they're primarily bought by people my age and older, right. you know, and people looking for the history of the field. Right. People who don't want to take their own comics out of plastic bags. 
<laughs> Why should they have to? Read them on the bookshelf. Much easier to find that selection of uh, Takahashi books by their spine or find mm-hmm. Dan Klaus's work under sea on your bookshelves than to try to find where in the mountain of uh, short right. boxes right. it is. Because <laughs> nobody labels them that good. Uh, I don't know. I spend all my time here at work filing and, and dealing with comics. Well, that's thing I want to do when I go home. <laughs> put a long box in order. It sounds too much like work. So I'll just put books on my bookshelves and leave it there. Yeah, oh, that that's a really good point. That's so funny. Um, I was going to say, one thing that, um, compared to the old store, one thing I really liked about this store, too, is the openness. I mean, the old store was very narrow. Everything was kind of... It was a bowling alley. Yeah, it was it was shut and, together. And, and a couple times I remember that um, coming in, there were some displays of um, the manga stuff in the front and I'm not sure if it was this is such a long time ago it wasn't like manga it was some Japanimation stuff some of it was fairly violent and it was right near the front door and I remember coming in and going oh I don't want to see that as the first thing I, I see when I come in here and I kind of have to scoot by to get to like the rack where the research stuff was and, right. and that well one of the things that, that I've learned from talking to other people far wiser than I in story design is that we almost all have blinders on mm-hmm. Um, two things about the manga being in front. We had different reactions. Some uh, librarians and, and educators we worked with thought, oh, wow, great, you put the manga right front, draw the kids in. Well, that had that effect, and that we were not opposed to it, but it actually was right up front because manga was one of our destination spots. Mm-hmm. New comics, erotica, and manga were three very strong yeah, destination yeah. poles. And most people, when they walk in a store, have sort of a blinder peripheral vision problem. There's about a 45-degree angle mm-hmm. coming off of, of their initial view. They don't see. They don't go to it. It's sort of a dead zone. So even though you saw it, you were actually fairly unusual. Most people <laughs> most people walking uh, into the shop never saw it. We'd even have people walk right up, turn uh, left, turn oh, to the front so counter, ask where a yeah, market yeah. display was, and we'd look at them. It's like, turn around. Turn around. <laughs> No, but where is it? Just turn around. <laughs> and, and they turn around and go, oh, oh never mind. Um, it, it actually, you know, you put one of our dead spots in the use. Right now, um, the way the, the front door and the bay windows work out, that whole front section as you walk right in is the art book shelves because of the, the window treatments there mm-hmm. and the racking with it It's and, and the table display in the middle of it. Um, it's a very easy sort of uh, waiting station uh-huh. for, shall we say, casual readers yeah. or friends of a, a comic fan yep, yep, who are dragged in here. Yeah. They can sit there and stare at the Tosh art books and marvel at how it can only be $13 for this much book. Yeah. Um, you know, why their friends are out getting comic books. And maybe after a while they feel a little more comfortable and wander a bit around. We also have, right in that section, our nonfiction and our anthology mm-hmm. collections. And we found nonfiction to be a particularly good reader-breeder. Mm-hmm. And things that uh, uh, people would not assume uh, would be in a conflict format, whether it's uh, the Safer Garazda or whether it's Rick Geary's anal- analysis of the Lindsay Borden case. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it tends to be a way to... Um, keep drag-alongs, as, it's, as they're sometimes referred to, happy. At the same point, we found it to be a very, very good advertising mm-hmm. uh, section for a store. A lot of, uh, because we're right here in the Arts District, there's a lot of Mr. and Ms. First Nighter yeah. who have a 10, 15 minutes to kill right, before uh, the time to go into the theater. And they'll come in and look at the art books, and while they're looking at the art books, they'll look at a few of the comics on that front display table, and after a while, like, we'll be back when the show's <laughs> over. And, um... You would hear that a lot, but moreover, we've actually seen it happen a mm-hmm. lot, and so it's nice to sort of you know, bring somebody new mm-hmm. or somebody back to comics who may not have 
about comics and anything to offer. Yeah, that, that's great. Now, I want to ask you about something we talked about a little bit um, before off mic, um, which I noticed that when I came in here recently was that uh, besides me, there were like three other women in the store, which was cool. One of them was looking at manga, and two others were around, and they were not like the girlfriend of the guy. They were there on their own looking at stuff, which is cool. And I wanted to, to just ask you if you've seen a change in that um, and what you think your percentage of female clientele is now. Okay, that's a somewhat awkward question to answer. Um, one, there's been a huge change in readership. Manga in particular has brought a lot of teenage girls yeah. in. If there was one demographic comic stores didn't have, it was probably that 11, 10, 12, 13-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. We had older women reading Tank Girl and older girls reading Love and Rockets and X-Men. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, people ask me, what do women read? Well, women read what women want to read. Yeah. And um, I've been on enough panels and enough discussions about, you know, what makes a store friendly towards women. Well, the usuals apply. A clean, well-lit place for comics never hurts. Mm -hmm. um, having female staff helps. Well, we're having a book or somebody who's willing to go talk to a customer about a book they'll be interested in helps. A few years ago, um, I was surprised and, and, and pleasantly noticed when one of the women customers came up, hey, Rory, psst, other than you, you're, we're, there's only girls in the store. And <laughs> I was like, wow, that was cool. Oh, that is so cool. That's wonderful. It was cool. Yeah. A couple, a couple years ago, I stopped noticing when that happened. I mean, I thought that was even cooler when I noticed that I stopped thinking about it. Now, mostly, yeah, it's guys. I mean, I would, I've heard people say as high as 40% of their clientele women. I don't believe them. Mm. I think they're noticing the women and so it noticing. Seems like more than it is, yeah. And I also think that they're very happy that, you know, Sally or Josie or Janelle are buying a book from them. Mm -hmm. But I think that they're overweighting that. If you do dollar weighted sales, last time we did it, we were probably at 85% male and 15% women, um, female. But it was, again, it was, that was dollar-weighted. So the women, women generally tend to spend more on books than men do. But so far at this point, I think they're still spending less on comics than men do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it is changing. I mean, um, there are times where, you know, the entire staff will be women. And there are times when, uh, uh, you know, the entire clientele will be women. Mm -hmm. But those are still rarities. Mm -hmm. um, I would have to guesstimate at this point that we are probably 75, 80% male and uh, the rest women. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like to think it was higher. I, it's definitely trending higher, mm -hmm. but I don't think we're there yet. And I do think those stories that give you the, oh, yeah, it's 50% of our readership are, are, are women. They're either lying to themselves or doing bad statistical analysis because yeah. it's just not there yet. Um, again, there are days where school lets out and you know the manga section has 15 twin age girls in it, and God bless. And yeah. so also the store has more women in it than or more girls in it than it has boys or men. But a lot of them are just readers, mm -hmm. and I'm not opposed to that. We, we let people read all day. You can't sit down, but you can read all you want. Um, it's much cheaper than paying for shows. Yeah. But um, not all of them are customers in mm -hmm. the sense that they won't all walk up to the register and buy something. But I have noticed over the years that when it's birthday time or Christmas time or Hanukkah time, often mom will come in mm -hmm. and, Sally, what do you want? And all of a sudden Sally's getting um, 10 or 20 books at a shop. And then mom's throwing a couple on for herself, too. Mm -hmm. So I, was like, I already read that one. Yeah, mom, I haven't. <laughs> and, and that was a very cool conversation yeah. last, last Christmas. Yeah that uh, we heard. But I mean, it's growing. It's not where it should be yet. 
but it's on its way. Yeah. Do you think that um, the popularity of, of comic stuff in other media has drawn more women in? Because I kind of think it does. There are so many movies and TV shows that are drawn off of classic comic book characters that gives them exposure in a way that you might not ever get otherwise. Sure. Smallville. I mean, right. lots of women who never really read a Superman comic were like, oh, this is good. I like this. I like this guy. I like this story. And even though... Superboy comics are not the same as what you see on Smallville. It was an introduction to a world that they might not have ever known. It certainly helped. I mean, uh, nice leading the witness, by the way. Um, <laughs> exposure in any medium that, that broadens people's expectations of what comics can offer can only help us. Um, whether they're lusting after uh, uh, Michael Rosenbaum um, or whether they're lusting after Allison Mack, if that gets the woman interested in coming in and checking out the comic book store, God bless. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this a, a still perception in America that one, comics are for kids, mm-hmm. two, that comics are for you know boys, and three, that they're arrested adolescent power fantasies. Right. And and sure, they can be all those yes. things. <laughs> and and why shouldn't they be? Right. But that's not all they are. That's right. It can and be completely the opposite. A, a few years ago, uh, when people were debating credits and 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 the politics of Marvel's X-Men cartoons, Avi Arad sort of said it well when he said, well, the best-selling X-Men comic book sells 100,000, and we have 7.5 million kids watching it on Saturday morning. Um, some of the percentage of those 7.5 million kids are going to come grow up and come check out comics. Mm-hmm. And the soap opera nature of long-going comic stories like the X-Men, it's character-driven to some extent, mm-hmm. not plot-driven. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, one of the few things that women really do want in a comic that boys may not care as much about is a character-driven yeah. storyline. Yeah. And some of the writers we have in this business do that very well. Others are much more, shall we say, plot or theme or event-directed. Uh, we can accommodate both sure. stories. Sure, it's way big enough for both. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, other things with, with comics and, and broadening, so to speak, the appeal, uh, the... The comic movies help. I mean, frankly, I think some of the movies that help best are things like Road to Perdition or Ghost World or um, History of Violence, which mm-hmm. some people don't even perceive as having a comic book connection. Yeah. And later on, when they find out it had a comic connection, it works. But I mean, when we first opened up almost 19 years ago, you know, around the corner, um, I was sitting outside having a cigarette talking to the two partners from Wasteland, the clothing store that was... Oh, uh, right, yeah, 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 I uh, shopped there. <laughs> great, great store. Sort of a remnant of Wasteland, okay. still up in Telegraph, called Mars Mercantile. And we were sitting there, and we sort of assumed that of uh, the young 20 demographic we were seeking, the girl would walk into Wasteland and get some cool cool gear. Mm-hmm. The guy would walk in, get some cool comics, life would be good. Young couple walked up, kissed, see you later, honey. Guy went in the Wasteland, got himself a motorcycle <laughs> coat, and the girl in the comic relief and got herself a whole bunch of leather rockets. Wow, that's great. We looked at each other and went, yep, this will work. <laughs> so, I mean, assumptions are, are dangerous things. And yeah. every now and again, you get exactly what you wanted in exactly a different way than you mm-hmm. thought would ever happen. Um, that's great. So, I mean, I think you said off camera, in the, in, in the olden days of comic book stores, when I first started working in them, you saw a 60-year-old woman in the comic store buying something, the assumption was that she was buying it for her son or her grandson, maybe her husband. Mm-hmm. 
our assumption here is she's buying for herself. Yeah. And if she tells us something completely differently, we'll believe her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but sometimes we're not even really sure about that. But um, we have a number of women you know, in their 60s, 70s who come in and buy the occasional comic book, the occasional art book, and are very particular in their tastes. Mm-hmm. God bless them. But they're definitely buying for themselves. They're mm-hmm. not buying for, for Johnny or for Sissy. Yeah. Um, so they'll come in and buy occasionally for that as well. And again, that's a, cha- a bit of a sea change from what we had you know, 25 years ago when I first started out. It's a nice change to have. So um, what are you reading personally? Um, I know everything, right? So <laughs> pick, pick, pick like just a few things. I wish I had the time and, 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 and the, the mental capacity to read everything. I read a lot. Um, obviously, a new 8-ball, a new optic nerve comes out. I'm there. Yeah, optic nerve, like once every three years. Yeah, well, Adrian makes, <laughs> makes it easy for us to keep up, but, but this Oakland trilogy he's doing. I mean, we oh, keep, I talk, we keep talking about him as a, as a Berkeley artist. Well, yeah, his address, his PO box was in Berkeley. You know, and he lived in Berkeley, but this is an Oakland-based. Oh, in the last optic nerve, the, the 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 picture of the um the place where the there alley? was like the Korean place oh, and yeah. the Japanese place. Yeah. Like I know exactly where this. I used to live yeah. around the corner from that place. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, it was way I, cool. I, I ran into Adrian and Mama's uh, occasionally, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I actually had no idea where where the alley was. But yeah, uh, yeah no, I know those places. I've gone to those places. Mm-hmm. I've lived near those places. <coughs> I eat at those places, but um, I mean, sometimes it's nostalgia for me. I grew up as a little kid reading Legion of Superheroes, mm-hmm. and Mark Wade doing Legion of Superheroes has me very happy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nostalgia hit, but it's it's been a fun read in its own yeah. little science fiction way. Yeah. Um, I love anything by Chris Ware. I mean, I love um, Brian K. Vaughan's work. I mean, I know you're not a big fan of why, <laughs> but I'm liking it. I'm liking Runaways very much. Um, it's also been one of our favorite books with librarians lately. Um, two of uh, the more influential librarians in the state actually had it as their favorite YA wow. book last year. Cool. Well, I mean, every kid at some point thinks that their parents are evil aliens. Sure. These kids are right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's a great hook, and it's a perfect YA book because mm-hmm, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, YA stands for young adult. <laughs> um, yes, if you go to the library, you should know that because that's yeah. what it's marked. <laughs> and in the library, if you don't find the comics in the 741.5s, mm-hmm. Ask your librarians. Lots of them are out breaking them out in their own yeah. separate sections. Yeah, I, I've talked about that on the show a couple times, that in both of the libraries that I go to, there are now graphic novel sections there adjacent to the young adult stuff, but they are actually by themselves, and then the manga is like on a separate yep. two shelves at the bottom, but all the Marvel and DC stuff's up here, and the indie stuff, too. It's great. Thanks. That's, oh. sort, of, that's sort of my playbook, yeah. actually. <laughs> I've been working with area libraries now for over 18 years, uh, filling library stuff, being an active member of BIA, which is very young adult librarians uh, group, um, one of the few non-librarian members. Um, it's fun, and, and I look at libraries as sort of radio airplay for comics. Yeah. So if you're hearing this podcast and you yeah. don't know what, what's cool in comics, if your local comic store is not perhaps up to snuff, hide yeah. to a library, and the magic words are ILL, or interlibrary loan. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if your library doesn't have what you want, they, Ask. Can, they can get it. They can get it for you. The, I, I said when I was reading Dark Knight Returns, one of the coolest things about the, the volume I was reading was that it was so dog-eared. Like, clearly, hundreds of kids had been reading this, and that made me so happy to know this thing is constantly being taken out, it's constantly being read, it's been handled, it's been passed around. Mm-hmm. That's what it's for. Well, we've been working with the Berkeley PL now for over 18 years. If you walk in on a Saturday or after school hours on a weekday into the young adult section, there's an entire four bays uh, for graphic novels. So you'll walk in and they'll be almost empty. 
Then turn around and look at the floor, uh, and you'll see the entire thing chock-a-block with, young, with youngsters with grabbing novels in their hands. Um, a little boring statistic stuff that I hope will excite some of your readers. Um, a bestseller in a library system, the year or so after it's a bestseller, mm-hmm. so not the Da Vinci Code right now, but the Da Vinci Code maybe two years from now, mm-hmm. might circulate four, five, six times a year per copy, per branch. Um, Right now, we're seeing circulation figures on some graphic novels as high as in the 60s. Wow. So it's moving once a week. Yeah. And that doesn't count all the in-library use as well. Yeah. Um, one of the librarians I was working with, uh, Sonar with Keith Knight and Trina Robbins and, a, and Jason Shiga at a presentation at, at BPL recently, one of the technicians came and wanted to demand to know why this book was so badly made. She held up a copy of Understanding Comics. The front cover had been abraded away. <laughs> There was no color left in the book. It's like, well, I think either somebody mistook that for sandpaper, or this book's been read to death. And I said, how many times has it been checked out? And she looked it up, and and she sat down and said, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Wow. She thought the book had been badly made. The book had been, well, reasonably well made, but it had been read to death. Yeah. And and that's, oh, that's a very beautiful. cool thing. That That's just, that's so good. I'm always encouraging people to, to do it at the libraries. And the other thing about I love about libraries is that you can taste you can go and you can look at stuff, and if it doesn't grab you, you don't feel like you've wasted money and therefore have like generated a little bit of bad karma about a title because you just dropped nine bucks on it and now I don't like it anymore. You don't browse here enough, do you? <laughs> we don't mind if you read here all day. We do ask you not to send down. We do ask you to come and, and not Berkeley Street person uh, <laughs> resemblance. I mean, if you, uh, we do have that. Reminds us few people that bathing is important. But um, it's not generally a problem. But we'll let you read all day here. Sure. Uh, I'd really rather you, you put your $20 in my pocket and my register yeah. because you got the book you wanted than walk out of here with the wrong book. Yeah. I, I think that's true of most good comic stores. And where I live, which is um, about 30 miles away from here, there are a couple of comic book stores. But they're not places I like to be because, A, they're creepy. And, B, no, they are. I, mean, I believe you. They're, I just, they're, I'm they're sorry. They're dark and um, But they, they're not as... Uh, open about the, the reading stuff. I mean, you really feel like when you're in there, they want you to pick something and buy it and get the hell out. You know, they're, they're, right. It's not a place where they encourage people to come and talk about comics and chat with the owners. There used to be a store in Oakland, and it was literally across the street from uh, Oakland's main library. It had one of those signs I thought I'd only see, you know, the apocryphal, the library's across the street kid. <laughs> like, one, I wasn't a kid. Two, I knew the library's across the street. Three, yeah. I wanted to see if I wanted to buy the book here. Um, there's a lot of bad practices in the retail sector. Um, there's a used bookstore down in the Hayward area off of uh, International Boulevard or Mission that literally advises you to bring a flashlight with you when you want to go searching their back consonants. Uh, wow. I sometimes wonder if Miner's Helmet shouldn't be issued at some <laughs> comic stores just as you're going looking in the, in the shelves. I don't know why we put up with it. I, actually, I do know why we put up with it. We care about comics so much, and we're so interested in the product that we'll deal with things that, you know, if our local grocery store was that way, we'd drive 10 miles yeah. out of the way to go somewhere else. Sure. The Beria, though, has six, seven, eight world-class comic book stores. I'd like to think we're the best. We're certainly the first to win the Will Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailing Award, but there are three other stores in the Beria that have won that award. There are probably three others that should or will win it shortly. 
Um, do you want to name them just so people can know, or do you not want to do that on the show? I don't mind naming them at all. <laughs> I mean, let's see if I can name it and not screw it up. Uh, the second to win, I think, was Dr. Comics' Mr. Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third to win, I believe, was uh, Joe Field's Flying Colors. And mm-hmm. the fourth to win was Atlanta's Fantasy World down in Santa Cruz. And other fine stores. A1 up in Sacramento is a first-rate store. And stores have different... Um, store identities were a bookstore. I mean, you walk yeah, in here, yeah, you have yeah. no doubt you've walked into a bookstore. Other places are selling, uh, well, all of them selling comics in this list, of course, but some of them sell more of a, uh, a one-stop family shop, like Flying Colors, which yeah. is truly a fantastic, you know, you know, for the kids in the minivan, let's get yourself down to the Flying Colors uh-huh. and get some comics for everybody. I was going to mention, they've been doing a lot of TV advertising right. on the cable stations lately on um, Cartoon Network, which I watch a lot of, right. um, and I was really surprised and pleased to see it, and they're good commercials, you know, and like right. you said, they're very family-friendly. Bring everybody down, there's something uh, for everybody here. I mean, Joe's uh, daughter, Jenny, is doing some of the commercials for him. Mm-hmm. She talks about her manga picks yeah, and yeah, picks yeah. for comics for girls. I mean, it's a great store. Um, you know, it's it's different than ours. I mean, we're much more of a bookstore than much more of the one-stop family fantasy shop. Mm-hmm. This room for, the, the, for yeah. both of those in the barrier. Well, again, yeah, the barrier has, you know, probably of the top 25 comic stores in the country, maybe 10 of them are here. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think that even if you're shopping at one of those really, really good stores, we've got enough diversity of product, breadth of product here, that it's worth a trip here once a month, mm-hmm. once every other month or so. At the same point, you're shopping at Flying Colors. I would never tell you you should stop shopping at Joe and Libby's store and come shop here. You're shopping at one of the best stores in the country. We have different product than they do and supplemental product than what they have. We have more than they have. But at the same point, you live out in Concord. If they're not your regular shop, mm-hmm. I'm surprised. And uh, you must be, like, literally down the street from some other shop, and that's why you go there. You probably go to Joe's at least once every couple of weeks to catch up. Yeah, once a month, once every other month, you should probably come over to Berkeley and see what it is you've missed and what yeah. it is you need to discover. Um, some comic stores limit their breadth of vision. We have a fairly extensive comic strip section. Mm-hmm. A lot of comic stores don't think of comic strips as sort of being in their... Ballywick. It's not their job. It's the big books or it's Borders and Barnes and Noble's right. job that have comic strips. Some comic stores don't carry manga. They let Borders and Barnes and Noble carry manga. We carry more manga than any bookstore I've ever seen, uh, except Kunikania over in Japan. But we probably have more English language manga than yeah, we do. I was, I was just going to say that actually. If you go to Kinokuniya, a lot, most of it is in Japanese, and sometimes it's the only way to get certain titles because they're not sure. translated yet. But they've also got this amazing series of English Japanese books for people learning. English. Oh yes, I have some of those. Okay. They're great. Yeah. yeah. And then several of the books that that have finally come out in English were available only in a sort of English version mm-hmm. that way, which was very cool. Okay. Um, but again, I, I don't think of us as as competitors so much as colleagues. Yeah. I mean, the competitors are. The almost five hours a day that um, people spend watching TV, yeah. it's the uh, very average of three to four hours a day of people on the Internet. That's the time right. competing in with, with the reading yeah. of comics time. So the, the one, I want to um, wrap things up, but I wanted to ask you about the Internet because um, I, I think the bookstores in general have seen a huge trend toward people buying online from Amazon and from other used booksellers. And I know that um, people are using services like DCBS and in-stock trades just to pre-order the stuff and have it come in and just have it delivered to their house. So has that really affected you? And, and do you think it's going to continue to be um, something that 
pulls away some of your business? Or like the other stores, will it just coexist with what there is in retail? Well, I, I think it's foolish to think that that's going away anytime soon. Um, certainly, there are customers of ours who have taken some of their business off to the discount services on the Internet and the Amazon. Certainly, there's an ease. If you're at home, you're checking out a cool website, a great book gets discussed, you want to buy it right now, you can click over and from any number of websites you might be able to buy that book right then. What you can't do on that is hold the book in your hand. Right. Overhear the conversation of the woman next to you talking about the cool book that she just discovered, reach over, pick it up, and realize that's exactly the book you want to have. Now, the website's gotten much, much better with uh, people who bought this book also bought that mm-hmm, book, mm-hmm. Um, and they're much more efficient that way. At the same point, so often we've all had experience where we hear something, it sounds great, we really, 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 really want to read it. We get it, and seconds later we know it's exactly not what we thought yeah, it was. Yeah. You can do all that and avoid shipping charges just by walking <laughs> into a well <laughs> store. Um, there's also a certain camaraderie. I mean, uh, uh, you walk in and you see the usual Wednesday night crowd or the usual Saturday night crowd or a Saturday afternoon crowd around the shop. You know you like Carolyn's taste in books, and you ask her what she read lately. You know you like the staff's taste in books, and so you find out what they've read lately. What do they recommend? You know, I'm looking for a present for my uh, Aunt uh, Mildred. You know, I'm looking for a present for my nephew John, uh, for my daughter Sally. We can help you with that better than a website can. Yeah, um, also, we have a, num- well, a few thousand out-of-print books here that are not available on many of the websites, mm-hmm. and so another reason to come here, but I do think one, just the, the tackle nature of the book, the ability to hold it in your hand, and to figure out if it's the right book for you or for your friend, is something that the websites at this point can't do. Um, internet, right now, the Internet's a plus, I think, for Comic Leaf. We just had the best February we've ever had. I mean, by a lot, and I'm not counting, and I'm not counting WonderCon sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and a matter of fact, two years ago, that would have been a fine December. And, again, it's a bigger store yeah. and a bigger platform to sell books from. But I think we're doing something right that yeah, way. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very pleased. <laughs> Beats the alternative, all the hell. Um, but uh, the Internet's also, as we were discussing before it got very noisy in the restaurant, the Internet's one of those places where niche communities can accrete and find out um, commonalities of purpose and of... of uh, of taste, and it's, so it's possible to, you know, be discussing in a chat room on the Beehive or on uh, Comic Con's board or Comic Journal's board or Comic Book Resources boards, and that person you're talking to, whatever their screen name may be, you recognize that his or her tastes are similar to yours, mm-hmm. and they're raving about something you never heard about. Some of those things are things that are hard to get even on the net, and they're periodicals, and, mm-hmm. and Amazon, uh, Amazon doesn't carry it, or it's a short run press book, and Every website you've gone to go see it, that Little Nemo book's out of stock. Mm-hmm. Well, a good bookstore's job is to get that out-of-print book or out-of-stock book if you can. We're pretty good at it. I mean, long after the big Peter Mareska's uh, uh, So Many Splendid Sundays Little Nemo book went out of print, I think we sold 40 copies after it went wow. out of print, and we're still selling them now. Yeah, yeah. So Amazon doesn't have it. They can't get it. Uh, go to somebody who specializes, <laughs> and maybe they can hook you up. Same point. The internet's never going to, it's not going to stop. I mean, people will scan books, people will download books, people will buy books at a discount that, frankly, sometimes approaches the discount we buy our books at. Mm-hmm. Um, 
all I can hope is that they broaden their taste to the point that they appreciate even other and more things. Yeah. And as so many people talk about, comics would be phenomenally more successful. One of the memes that runs throughout internet uh, conversation about comics is, if you're only as cheap as when I were a kid, uh, comics would sell so much better. Well, all the experiments and, and testing with that says that price isn't really the factor. Um, uh, people talk about jobs sometimes and, and, and what their pay scale is and whether the price um, you know, equates to their worth and whether they should be working at that job. The surveys I've seen that I actually trust put you know, salary somewhere down around 7th. I would think price for what comics are is probably somewhere down around 7th too in mm-hmm. terms of factors. I, it doesn't matter how expensive the new Dan Klaus book is. It's, if it's a really, really good Dan Klaus book, and most yeah. of them are. It's worth the money. Yeah. I mean, uh, a bargain bin generic comics drawn by me and written by my cousin, I don't care if you get it for a quarter. It's yeah. probably badly spent money. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I think the big message for everybody is to buy more comic books and buy them from you. <laughs> Actually, buy more comics and buy the right comic books. Yeah. And, and if you're living in the Bay Area, you'll buy some percentage from us. If not, yeah. at, at the shop in Berkeley. Oh, yeah. 2026 Shattuck Avenue. <laughs> near Addison. Near University. Yeah, near the Bird Station. Half, and, uh, you know, or Water Con or Apert, San Diego. Yeah. But, but buy comics you like. Yeah. And uh, turn your friends on to them, too. Yeah. That's better. You'll buy, you'll buy your share from me, I hope. But um, just buy the ones you like first and foremost. Cool, thanks. You're welcome. Well, that was fun. Despite all of the weird technical difficulties, I thought it came out pretty good. Next time, in the next show, I've got so much new stuff to talk about because I've been reading lots of things. Um, some new books, some old books, some things that people sent me and some things that I bought, including a couple things that I actually bought at Comic Relief, and some interesting blogs that I want to recommend as well. Um, the new show probably will be up in about a week or so. Not this weekend because it's my birthday on Sunday, so I'm going to take the weekend off from podcasting and give myself a little rest. So until next time, go read more comics and stop by Comic Relief if you live in the Bay Area. You'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did.